This morning, we are continuing a series that we started last week that we are calling Paradox. And uh, we live in an incredibly polarizing time. We live in a time right now where one of the supreme words is the word or. Because there is so much pressure and so much pull to either be on one extreme or to be on the other extreme. You are either pro something or you are anti that something. You either believe and hold something to be completely awesome and legit or you hold something to be shady and super questionable. Um, We live in this either or time and it's dividing us. And sadly, it's seeped into the church, even in our time. Now, it's been part of the church for generations, but it's seeped afresh into the church. And all of a sudden, we are being polarized, and, and we are being pressured to be an or type of people, where, you know, I'm on one side of the aisle, or I'm on the other side of the aisle when it comes to my politics, or when it comes to social issues, or when it comes to key moral um, Issue. So when it comes to theological debates, and this is dividing us as a church, and as it divides us as a church, it ends up derailing our mission, which is to show the love of Jesus to the world around us. And one of the key ways the world around us sees the love of Jesus is in the unity and love of the church. And when we polarize, one of our favorite things to do is to drag Jesus into our polarizations and quote scripture to prove that Jesus is on my extreme of the conversation versus your, no, he's on my extreme of the conversation. But as you open the pages of scripture, one of the things you start to see is Jesus seldom got pulled into one extreme or the other, much to the chagrin of the religious leaders. They wished Jesus would just take an extreme position on this or an extreme position on that. But in many places, you find that Jesus was altogether happy to live in the tension, to live in the paradox. And his essence say, I'm not so much in many situations in either or, I am a both and this morning, we uh, are going to have a, a conversation about an issue that has polarized the church. Now, in all fairness, this issue has polarized the church for hundreds and hundreds of years and continues to do so more so today. Um, we want to have a conversation about the issue of free will or sovereign choice. I just heard somebody say, oh, no. Yes, amen. Um, (laughs) Free will or sovereign choice. And the question is this. Do I have the power and freedom? um, In fact, let's take that question down, if we can, really quickly. Do I have the power and freedom to make the choices that I determine? Or are there choices predetermined for me and I just get to go through the motions? 
Do I make my own free choices or are the choices determined by a power outside of my being or conditions or laws outside of my being and I just happen to go through the motions? Free or sovereign choice? And some people might call it fate, if you will. For example, you are here this morning. Did you choose to come to church wearing what you're wearing by your own free decision? Or were there powers outside of your control that already had to determine that you would come to church and what you would be wearing? Now, in this case, I hope it's free will, just because the way some of you had dressed, I, I hope that was completely on you. But... um. <laughs> Is it, <laughs> is it free will or is it sovereign choice? The person that you um, call your boo-boo, <laughs> um, that you're married to, was this your free choice? You decided who you were going to marry um, or was the decision made for you? Free or sovereign choice? Now, we are not going to answer any of those questions. Um, the question more at play in the church is more of a spiritual, theological one. And the question is this one, and we'll put it up on the screen. Um, do you have the freedom and power to choose to believe in and follow Jesus? Or, no, that decision is made for you. You don't get to choose that. That's chosen for you. Is it free choice to follow Jesus or is it sovereign choice to follow Jesus? And that question has been a polarizing question in the church. That is a tense question in the church, hence some sighs and some no. Um, hence, when I told some of my staff, I'm not going to name names, that I was considering talking about this, they're like, you're joking, right? And I assured them, yeah, I'm joking. I wouldn't do that. So here we go. Um, so anyway, uh, we want to spend some time kind of talking a little bit about this issue. And let me assure you, we are not going to resolve this um, issue this morning. Let me also assure you that throughout the course of this conversation, you are going to feel some feels. This happens to be one of those conversations you cannot be theologically Switzerland on. You can't be neutral. You are going to feel emotions and pulled in one way or the other, and you may have some tense feelings, and we at Mission Point just don't tend to avoid issues just because they happen to be tense. And so, here are the two sides on that issue, and you probably fall into one or the other, maybe. Uh, the free choice. Uh, the free choice camp says, how is that even a question? Of course. I have the freedom and power to choose to believe in Jesus or follow Jesus, or I can choose to reject him. What am I, a robot? 
Of course, matter of fact, I can vividly remember where I was and what I was wearing and what I was feeling on the day I freely chose to follow Jesus. That is a dumb question. Free choice all the way. But then the other extreme says, well, uh, sovereign choice. Um, nope. You free willies, you think that you made the choice to believe and follow Jesus, but that decision was made way above your pay grade. It was made for you. Truth is, long before you were even a flirtatious thought, the decision had been made. You, you couldn't make the decision. That choice was made for you. And hence, this battle begins. One side says free choice, and the other side says sovereign choice. And we often get pulled and polarized to one or the other. Okay, um, let's talk about this and peek at the sides. Uh, side one, free choice. Uh, the free choice side again is really simple. The free choice side says, if you read the Bible sober and simply, it is hard to miss the fact that from Abraham, you know, and Adam, and all of Jesus' disciples, they freely chose to believe God and follow after him. Case in point, a passage we're going to look at here in a, a quick second. If you have a copy of the Bible, you can turn to John chapter 1. Uh, we're going to have verses up here on the screen as well. Um, but here's a case in point. Uh, we're going to start reading at verse uh, 43. And uh, just to give you a little bit of context, in John chapter 1, verse 43, Jesus is about 30 years old, and he is literally just a few days into the launch of his public ministry on earth. And he has approximately three followers on Instagram, and mainly in, in real life as well. Um, Andrew and John, these are two dudes who heard that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. He is the promised one from heaven. And they decide to leave their leader, John the Baptist, and follow after Jesus. Andrew has a brother whose name is Simon. So Andrew goes to Simon and says, dude, totally found the Messiah. You have got to follow him with me. And Simon says, sure. And he decides to sit subscribe, and he starts to follow Jesus as well, and immediately he int introduces himself to Jesus. Jesus says, hey, welcome to Life Change, buddy. Simon, nice to meet you. Oh, I'm going to change your name to Peter because I have some kingdom things for you to do in the future, and Simon becomes Peter, and now Jesus has three followers, but don't worry about him. He's about to build his squad just a little bit. Verse 43, the next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, hey, follow me. Philip 
like Andrew and Peter and John, who doesn't name himself, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip hits subscribe, and he follows Jesus. And then the, the, the trickle down, the domino effect starts to happen. Philip found Nathaniel, and he told Nathaniel, totally found the Messiah. The, the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathaniel is like, God, wait, first I have some questions. Question number one, for instance, Nazareth? Can <laughs> Can anything good come from Nazareth? I don't know. And I love the response. Come and see, said Philip. Because sometimes it's not about you winning debates, and it's not about you being the most compelling and convincing person. Sometimes you've just got to tell people, come and see for yourself. Sometimes you've just got to invite people to church, and not because church isn't full of messed up, broken people, but that's the place where the body of Christ comes together and expresses something of Jesus. Invite them into community and tell them, hey, come and see. Verse 47. When Jesus saw... Nathanael, approaching, he said of him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael's like, What? How do you know me? And Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. I saw you under the tree. Now, Jesus could have told Nathaniel, hey, now, technically speaking, I know you because I dreamed you in my heart and I shaped you with my hands. I know you because I created you. But in order to tell you something that, that your puny mind can wrap its arms around, let me at least just say I saw you before Philip even talked to you while you were sitting under the tree. Nathaniel's like, what? Bam! He hits subscribe, and he starts to follow Jesus. Look at verse 49. It says, then Nathaniel declared, Rabbi, there's something about you. You are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. All that to say, seems to me like these dudes pretty freely chose to follow Jesus. Just saying. There is no indication in the English or in the Greek or in any other language that any of these guys were experiencing any amount of duress or that they were experiencing any amount of distress. They freely chose to follow after Jesus. Jesus wasn't armed. Jesus wasn't strong-arming them. There was no hijacking situation. No one was going against their will. Philip, follow me. Eh, subscribe. Okay. Nathaniel, follow me. Okay, first I have a few questions. Nate, I saw you under the tree. Yeah, psych, subscribe. I'm going to follow you as well. The story of Jesus recruiting his disciples seems to strongly support Freedom to choose Jesus. How can anyone suggest there is no free will in the matter? Jesus appeals 
to their will. And that is, by the way, the recruiting stories are just one in a whole line of other stories that seem to insinuate such free choice. As a matter of fact, if you flash forward just a couple of chapters, we run into the most famous, most well-known verse in all of Scripture penned by the great theologian and prophet Tim Tebow. John chapter 3, verse 16. Um, Kids, I am joking. Tim Tebow did not write John chapter 3, verse 16. Um, God wrote it um, through a man named John. Ask your parents. Um, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes, right? Mm. Whoever believes, which is what people say when you try and bring that sovereign choice stuff. Mm -mm. Whoever shall not perish but have eternal life. It is hard to read mm, whoever believes and not understand that we have the freedom and power to choose to believe. It's in the Bible. And for the record, I happen to agree with this side, in part. So where's the tension? Great question. Let me tell you the tension. Now, before uh, I tell you some of the tension, um, and we have a little fun and whatnot in church, let me... um, let me just tell you some, some, some logical concerns um, for us to consider before we move forward. And I realize that these are logical concerns that are picking at language. But I do happen to think language does matter. Because... Um, I just want to ask about free will, Um, because I have some questions. Um, We say free will. You say free will sometimes. I say free will sometimes, but, like, free will, though? Is that really what we want to say? Because that's a suspect concept to me, logically. And I know it is a suspect concept to you, logically. I have the power and freedom to choose. I have a free will. We say those things, but really, how free? Because I'll say something like that, and then I will run into um, something like time. And then all of a sudden, something weird happens. Like, you made a really dumb decision last week that you deeply regret. And every fiber of your being is just wishing that you could backtrack and go back to the point of that decision and change it and make a different decision and reroute the course of your future. And the minute you turn around to run back to that moment, that law of time yanks at you and said, Nope! You have the power and freedom to move this way but you don't have the power and freedom to move that way. 
You can only move in one direction when it comes to time. You cannot move back. So I'm like immediately, I'm like, okay, so how free am I? I want to really bad, but I'm not Michael J. Fox. I don't have a DeLorean. I can't figure out how to go back in time. And the law of time is like, "Mm -mm, no, you may not. Yes, you are aging. And you cannot be young again. Embrace the grace. Embrace the grace. I don't like this. But yet here it is. You may be regretting your decision to come to church. And you have the freedom and power to choose to get up. Super awkward it will be, granted. But you have the power to choose to get up and go be at home. You also have the freedom to choose to stay in the room and endure the rest of this conversation. What you do not have the power and freedom to do is both. Try it. <laughs> All right, half of me is staying here. Half of me is going home. No, the minute you try, the law of space reminds you you can only be in one physical place at a time. You can try and choose what you want, but there is another limitation. Um, here's what, I'll tell you this. If you can, from where you are seated right now, rise all the way up to the ceiling, touch that sucker, and come back to your seat, we will clap for you. <laughs> we will watch you. We will applaud you. We will carry you on our shoulders. I'll wait. Nope, you can try as much as you want, and gravity, that jerk, always trying to keep us down. And that's not even speaking about some of your genetics. That's not speaking about some of the health issues that I wish they were different. Well, then choose to make them different. I can't. That's not even speaking about your shyness. You so shy. Why don't you just change it? Like, ugh. Nope. So I'm just saying, how free is your will anyway? Because the minute you start to brag and you flaunt like, I have a free will, I can choose, I have the power to, you run into a whole bunch of laws that you cannot overcome. So I'm just asking logically, free will? Mm, Sounds super restricted to me. But again, that's just me. The physical limitations aren't even the greatest tension. Nope. If you are not free to overcome the physical laws of time and space and gravity and health, how can you possibly begin to overcome the unyielding spiritual laws of sin? I'm just asking on behalf of the other side. Here's how Paul describes it. Um, We'll spend a little bit of time looking at this section of Scripture in Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. Listen to this. As for you, who, all y'all, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, 
the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us, who? All y'all. Also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Yeah, that's a problem. That creates a little tension. Here's what Paul is saying. Every single one of us apart from Jesus is spiritually dead. Every single one of us apart from Jesus is spiritually flatlined, spiritually unresponsive to Jesus. That's what he's describing in this passage. We were free to make choices, a bunch of things. But we were free to make choices within the borders and boundaries of spiritual death. And when Paul describes it, he says, oh, you made a bunch of choices. But there were choices that when you started to run in a certain direction, oh, the ruler of the kingdom of the air yanked you back and you were drawn back into your impulses and you were drawn back into your cravings and you were drawn back into the ways and the patterns of this world which you used to follow. And the picture is painting is, no, 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 you were not actually free. You were following in these grooves that sin and death had carved in from you, and you'd run into one groove towards certain passions, and then you'd come back, and then you'd run down a different groove, and you'd run into the boundaries of spiritual death, anchored by the chain of the kingdom of the air. This is the picture that Paul is painting in Ephesians chapter You could choose your passions, and you can choose your impulses, and you could choose whatever else, but the one thing you could not choose was to make yourself spiritually alive. That's what it means to be spiritually dead. You cannot undead yourself. Man, Paul says it a different way in Romans chapter 8, verse 7. He says, the mind that is governed by the flesh. I'm telling you, we could pause and just spend like a whole day just looking at that phrase. Wait a minute. Governed by the flesh. I thought I was free, though. You can't be free and governed by the flesh. No, but I, 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 I felt it like I would do what I wanted to do. Yeah, but within the grooves and with the boundaries, you would run back and forth within these parameters. Your mind was governed by your flesh. And he says it's hostile to God. And this is so striking. It does not submit to God's law. That's one thing. Nor can it do so. Can't do it. If you're spiritually dead and you're governed by the flesh, you cannot submit to God's law. Not you don't want to, not you don't try. It says you cannot. And he goes on. Those who are in the realm 
wait a minute, what do you mean the realm? You are living within the boundaries of the parameters of death. I thought, nope, you live in a realm. Apart from Jesus, you live in a realm. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. Um, that's, that's powerful. Now, just to be clear, I don't believe that uh, Paul is suggesting that uh, you can't do good things in keeping with God's um, commandments. I don't think that's what Paul is saying. I think what Paul is saying, though, is no matter what good thing you do, it will never register as pleasing to God. Because you will not be doing it out of submission to God. You can't submit to God. So what you will be doing, though, is doing something out of self-preservation. You think about it. Um, I don't want to do that because if I do that, then I'll end up in jail. If I end up in jail, I won't end up getting the job I want. And the job I want will get me the money I want. And so mm, I'm not going to do that because the consequences of doing that are consequences that don't appeal to me. So therefore, I'm, this is what my kids do all the time. I'm just telling you. They are afraid of consequences. And they will behave. Now the question is, it, you know, oh, don't do that, you know, Father. I just, I see the wisdom of your ways, and I am completely bored into that. No, I have to tell them every single time with a new threat, and it works, and I'm good with that for now. I'm just saying, come on, parents. Oh, we do it out of self-advancement. I'm doing something because I want to advance my agenda so that I can become, and so that I can feed my own whatever, and then so I'm going to do this for the sake of moving forward. Because if I let her know this, then mm, she, may, mm, she may not go on the date with me. And if I do this on the date, then she may not want a second date with me. So I'm going to behave myself in a certain way that will advance things a little bit. My kids do this all the time. I give them treats. Right? And as parents, by the way, we ought to be very careful that we do not mistake our kids' self-preservation and self-advancement for submission. It's not submission to you. My kids are so well. Nope. That's self-preservation. They're submissive. No, they're just smart. You didn't give them credit for that. No problem at all. But in all of that, there is nothing that pleases God, because what you cannot ever do according to the law of death is follow Jesus or please God. It says you can't do it. That's a tension, because doesn't it sound to you when you read the, these verses like spiritually dead means I am not free to just wake myself up and follow Jesus because to follow Jesus is to submit to God and to do something incredibly pleasing to him. And Paul is saying, not in the realm of death you can't. Hmm. 
And for the record, I agree with this too. Mainly because it's in the Bible. I wish I could tell you I agree with it because I like it a lot. It makes me very happy. I go to these passages for encouragement every now and then. No, I, I, I agree with it because it's, it's in the Bible. And I don't want to be, nor do I want y'all to be, a people who interpret the Bible through our predetermined polarized sides. I need to be able to look at something and say, yep, that's there, and yep, that's there, and oh, no, no, I'm just going to sit in the tension. So, on the one hand, the Bible seems to invite us to choose to believe. It's what the disciples did. It's what John 3.16 seems to suggest. And then, it assures us we cannot do it. Hmm, tension. And I happen to believe both are true. Choose to follow Jesus, true. But you cannot do it, true. It's not an either-or proposition. It's a both-and proposition. But wait a minute. How does anyone choose to believe in Jesus and follow him if we can't? How does anybody who is spiritually dead become spiritually alive, hit subscribe, and run after Jesus? How does a spiritually dead person come to life? Great question. And the answer is you've got to get woke. It's the only way. A life source outside of you has to infuse you with power and waken you to life. You've got to get woke. Something has to happen to you. Because dead people do not waken themselves. Something has to happen to them. And Paul, <laughs> he calls it mercy. Mercy in the tension. Look at verse 4, because he keeps going in Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2 gets really good at about verse 4. But because of his great love for us, thank you, Lord, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ. If you're a Bible-circling person who doesn't believe it's a spiritual sin to circle in your Bible, that would be a good phrase to circle. He made us alive. No, he made us alive. Those words are not minced. Those words are intentional. He made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you've been saved. Come on, mercy. There is one who is not limited by any law. He is not restricted by any parameters. He does not live in a realm. There is one who can speak a whisper and waken what was once dead. If you are alive in Jesus, come on, mercy. It's because God 
made you alive. Not because you made yourself alive. Dead people don't wake themselves. You've got to get woke. Mercy. You didn't just decide one day to kind of change things up. You didn't, if these verses are true, you couldn't do it. You didn't just decide one day to exert a unique energy and effort in your will and wake from the spiritual graveyard and then start to to run after Jesus' heart and soul. No, something happened to you. I'm telling you, mercy came to the graveyard and grace called your name and the spirit of the living God said, and you woke And you saw the face of Jesus and you're like, subscribe. I've got to follow you heart and soul. I am all in because of mercy. That's why Paul, by the way, church goes on to say in verse 8, for, oh man, how we've cheapened these verses. Just my thought. It is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not from yourselves. Something happened to you. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that none of you can start to brag. I love the way Paul speaks, by the way. He says, for it is by grace The grace is God's grace. It is by God's grace that you've been saved through faith. Whose faith? Your faith. You're like, see? There it is. My faith. And then Paul says, oh, by the way, and that, that didn't come from you either. That was a gift from God. Wait, but I remember when I, yes, you do. Even that wasn't from you. Lest you start to tell versions of the testimony of your salvation that puts you at the center. And you remember how one day you just decided, you decided nothing. You got woke by grace. That's what Paul is saying. Not by works, lest you have a reason to say, and I remember when I did something. His grace saved me through my faith. That he gave me. You can read those verses in whatever version or language you want. It will land you at the same place. This beautiful paradox. Yes, you had the power and freedom to choose to believe and follow Jesus. But that choice was only possible because God's mercy woke you. And if you're still kind of on the fringe, like, no, no, I don't know, that doesn't. Romans chapter 9, verse 16 says, It does not therefore depend on human desire or human effort, but on God's, come on, say that word, mercy. It doesn't depend on how much you want it, how much you will it, or how much you work at it. It is God's mercy. So is it my choice or is it his choice? Yes. I choose to follow him because he chose to wake me. Uh, Remember the disciples? Remember them? Remember them? Let's go see them again. 
Because in John chapter 1, this is what we learn. It's like Jesus is recruiting his disciples and he says, choose to follow me. And they chose to follow Jesus. Amen and amen. Ah, but then you get to John chapter 15. This is really good. Look at what John chapter 15 verse 16 says. You did not choose me. What? I love this. Jesus is like, okay, full disclosure. You didn't choose me. Mm-mm. I chose you. I appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit. But I remember the day, and I remember what I was wearing, and I vividly remember what I said, and I was under my parents' table in the log cabin when I chose. And Jesus is like, yes, you did. No, but I chose. Jesus is like, yes, you did. And then you walked through, and you looked on the other side. It's like, I chose you, actually. Like, oh, for real? Which one is it? Both. You chose me on that day, Nathaniel. Remember? Yes. Because I chose you. That's why. Um, This is so powerful. It's not an either-or tension. It's a both-and. My choice, empowered and awakened and freed by his choice and his mercy. Now, before I let you choose to leave, um, let me say this. In the eternal scheme of things, it doesn't matter where you land on this issue. It doesn't. Um, there will be free will all the way people, and there will be sovereign choice all the way people who believe there was no choice. No, there was a choice. It doesn't matter which extreme. If Jesus woke you, we're all going to be in heaven together on the same side of the aisle because there'll be no aisles. In the eternal scheme of things, this really doesn't matter. It does not determine where you spend eternity, which is one of the reasons we will rebel as long as Mission Point is a church from letting an issue like this divide us. I'm going to stop hanging with you and fellowshipping with you because you believe differently than I do? I just want to know, did Jesus save you? Yes. All right. You're wrong about how you got there. But we got there. (laughs) I don't think it makes a difference in the grand scheme of eternity. But I do think how I hold this tension affects the way I live today. Uh, Let me just give you some of the the, the biased ways I think it affects the way uh, we live today. I think it affects your praise. I think it affects your praise. I'm telling you, if you believe for a moment that you were spiritually dead and unresponsive to Jesus, then mercy came running and woke you to see his face. It will transform the way you praise. I'm just saying. 
you will become one of those crazy, crazy people. When you know you were dead, and now you're alive, and you couldn't have done it, when you know that mercy came to the graveyard and grace arrested death and the Spirit woke you to the face of Jesus and now you see him in all of his beauty and you are in heart and soul, something in your praise will shift. You will be that person who's like, I'm sorry, Jesus, I can't stop coming back and telling you, thank you for waking me. I couldn't have done that. And when a song goes up on the screen that reminds you of how Jesus woke you and death was arrested and his grace is amazing, you'll be like, I I don't know what's happening, but I've got to raise my hand. I've got to shout about it. And all of a sudden, I don't care what you think about me because, listen, you couldn't wake me, so excuse me while I shout the name of the one who did. It will change the way you praise. You can be cute. You can be casual when you were dead one time and someone woke you. You are going to tend to praise him quite a little bit. I think it affects the way we pray. I'm telling you, if you believe that salvation isn't so much a bad to better proposition. It's a death to life transformation. It will change the way you pray. It will drive you to your knees and you will find yourself begging the waker. Please awaken my kids. Please awaken my grandmother. Please awaken my school. Please awaken my my workplace. Please awaken this entire county. Because people are spiritually dead and dying, and you are the only one who can speak waking words to bring them to life. Please revive us. Please restore us. But I'm telling you, if we believe, like, you know, it was a 50-50 thing, you know, like I was 50% there, Jesus met me halfway, we shook hands, and um, I said, you know what, I'll give you a shot, Jesus. Oh, why, thanks. Um, I think what it starts to do is it starts to mess with the mission a little bit, Right? Because all of a sudden, what I'm going to be prone to do is, A, beat up on myself quite a bit. Oh, like, oh my goodness, I was with my friends at school and I said, bottom. And oh, they're never going to come to Jesus. I messed up. My testimony is completely blurred. And now, or I just didn't say it right. I was trying to say Jesus rose from the dead, but ended up saying he risked. And I just said it wrong. And now my, the whole thing, they're all going to hell. Right? And we start to put an immense amount of pressure on our shoulders and our ability to convince people. But when I believe that he is the waker, I am going to spend an immense amount of time praying, hey, would you please waken them even through my clumsy words? It will change the way that I pray. And I think it will also heal us of a little bit of our cruelty as a church. What cruelty? This cruelty that has a super self-righteous looking at the nation, and then will say stuff like this. 
Why is this country so blind? They're going to hell in a handbasket. Why can't they just change? Why can't they just figure it out? Why can't they just stop doing this and just do this? Duh, it is so, so easy. Oh, we forgot that we are talking about people who are spiritually unresponsive to Jesus and need to be woke. And one of the cruel things we do is then we go and we do. We stand at the graveyard of people and we're like, get up. What are you doing? Just get up. Just change. Just do better. Just try harder, kids. Come on. Just change. I wish they would. And we become really cruel in that. But when I realize that it is spiritual death that can only be awakened by God himself, I will plead for this nation. I will plead for our political leaders. I will plead for my family. It will change the way that we pray. And it will change the way that we preach. Because, hey, listen, I'm going to pray, but I'm going to preach. And I'm going to preach if for no other reason. I preach because, listen, how do you shut someone up who was dead one time? And then Jesus was like, hey, wakey, wakey. And then you got up. I've seen books flying off the shelf because some kid went to heaven for three minutes. And people are like, no way, tell us more. I'm like, you were spiritually dead. Your whole life should be a bestseller. Your whole life should be a book. I should constantly be telling the story of how Jesus woke me one time. Hey, have I told you guys about how I was dead and then Jesus woke me? Yes, you've told us a thousand times. I'm sorry, but it's just awesome. You're not going to be able to stop us when we believe that we've been woken by mercy. And also, I will preach because here's what I understand. The gospel message is the trumpet that heaven uses to waken the dead. That's the message. I love that Philip invited Nathaniel. And then Jesus convinced Nathaniel. The gospel message, Romans chapter 1, verse 16, here's what it says. For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. The message of the gospel is what Jesus uses to bring people to life. If that is true, then I want to preach the gospel to as many people as I can. I don't know who, I don't know when, I don't know how. I don't control the awakening, but I do have some say in the message being shared. And then just beg God, would you please awaken, would you please accompany this gospel word with your immense power. I pray that even in the midst of some of this polarization, that someone even this morning would get woke. And that's how it happens. And that may be true for some of you this morning where you're like, I've come to church six times. And most of the time I'm like, and that was all right. But today, something happened to me. And I'm like, I hear you, Jesus. I believe you. Well, why didn't you believe him two weeks ago? I don't know. But someone may get woke, and that's my prayer, spirit of the living God, that you would awaken some of our souls. And please hear me. I even pray for a revival in the church 
Because there is a difference between living a life submitted to God and living a life of self-preservation. And for some of us, it's like, I'm going to obey God because self-preservation. I think it's going to help me out. My whole family believes. I live in a context where everyone believes. Plus, I don't want to go to that bad place when it's all said and done. So I live self-preservation. But I pray there will be awakening of those who say, Jesus is worth my entire life. If you say go, I will go. What you say, I will do. Because you woke me and you are worthy of my entire life. I I pray that there will be an awakening in our souls in that regard. And so even as the team comes out, you guys can come on out. And as we sing, I I don't know what the Spirit will be, be stirring in you. But we pray that that he would awaken us and that in the middle of this polarization, we wouldn't worry so much about the extreme sides. We would worry about the amazing Savior and that our gaze would go up to him and that he would receive our praise. He would receive our lives. And I don't know if I mentioned, by the way, that when you get woke, that, uh, that shackle, that used to yank you, breaks. And now, I suggest your will is free. Now your will is free. Now the devil doesn't call the shots anymore. Now the realm, the walls of the realm tumble down. And I can hear the father saying to you, get up, child, run. In which direction? Whichever direction. There is joy in every direction. There is peace in every situation. There is forgiveness under every mistake. Run. It's all yours now. There is freedom in the person of Jesus Christ. Run and live because Jesus has awakened you to life. So, Spirit of the living God, I pray that you would stir in us what you desire stirred in us. That you would awaken us in the places where we need awakening. That you would remove blinders. That you would break chains. And I pray that even in this space that Jesus would be praised. Jesus, you are worthy of our praise. So spirit, move among us. Have your way in us. Help us not to be distracted by the polarizations and be drawn back to our Savior. Even as people come to pray, I just ask that you would do something beautiful in Jesus' name. Amen.